for each and every person that's here, for those that are traveling, for those that are staying. I pray, Lord, just for your presence to go before them, to be around them, to encamp yourself around them, Father. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you guide us. We pray for safety, for refreshing, and just an abundance of your presence, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible, you can get it ready to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, sorry, Revelations 2. (laughs) I'm reading Ephesians written down here. All right, so Revelation 2. I just want to um, start by encouraging you, um, for those of you that are traveling and aren't going to be here, we do put our sermons online every week. So if you would like to stay up to date with what's going on or just like some input, um, you're welcome to join us. We've got Spotify, Apple available to, to listen to the podcast that way. Um, and the reason I say this, we're going to, I'm good, well, for myself, and I, I spoke to Daniel as well, it's just over the next few weeks, we're just going to go through the seven churches of Revelation. It's just something that's been stirring in my heart for a while. And when Dave spoke about it last week, I was, I was like, you know what? What better time to start? Right. He put a pretty good foundation down. Um, and so I want to encourage you as as we go through this, to read the scripture, it's Revelation 2 and 3, um, the seven churches there, and to just work your way through it, meditate through it. I think it's important to remember that we are not the final authority of what scripture says. Um, we are here to lead you, we are here to guide you, we are here to help you, we are here to give you insights, we are here to point you to resources, and we are here to point you to Jesus. But it's up to each one of us to go and meditate and study this word for ourselves, and then in community talk together talk through it and just see where God is leading us in that. All right. Um, it's when we meditate on the word and allow it to come into our hearts that it transforms our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And um, the Holy Spirit, through his leading and guiding, will bring about revelation. If there's any conviction in his life, and the Holy Spirit does that, and he stirs us in love and kindness to change things in our lives. He points things out not to condemn us, but to show us that there's a better way. All right. So I want to encourage you with that. Let's pray. So, Father, I just want to thank you that we can come this morning. We, we can read your word. We can look at what it says. We can talk about it. We can discuss it. We can pray about it. We can rely on your Holy Spirit to lead us into revelation of what you are trying to say. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that our hearts and our ears would be open to hear and to see and to know what you are saying and where you are leading us. I pray that we would be sensitive to what you're saying. And I pray that you would be blessed and honored and glorified through what we do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> All right, so if you're here last week, Dave started a message on the seven churches of Revelation. Um, and he started with giving us the warnings that we find through, I think he gave us five of the warnings that come through the, the seven letters that were written. It was powerful, it was challenging, and it stirred something in me that I've wanted to do for a while, is to actually just take our time working our way through the seven churches. Um, It's an incredibly rich portion of of scripture. Um, There's lots of exciting points. There's lots of topics. And honestly, it flows beautifully from what we've been doing this year, where we looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the Holy Spirit himself. um, We looked about what it means to love, what it is to have unity within the church. And I think it's just a natural progression of where we are heading as a church this year. And so, like I said, I want to encourage you to read this by yourselves, read it with your spouses, your loved ones, your family, those around you, 
get into small groups through the summer if you can and just talk through this. It's an incredibly rich portion of, of scripture, and so I want to encourage you with that. Um, all right, so, so Revelation 2, it says, this is, the first one is to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You have hated the works of the Nicolaitans, sorry, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat in the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so I just want to start with a bit of a disclaimer or prelude or whatever, that the seven churches that we find here, there are varying views of what theologians and scholars seem to say. Some of them believe that each church represents an age of the church through the last 2,000 years, so more of a prophetic picture. Some believe that this was written to churches that already existed in, in the region. Um, personally, I hold the view that this was written for churches within the time period um, as a letter to each one, a letter of encouragement, a letter of conviction, a letter of repentance, but then also of exhortation as well. Um, the reason I stand for that, and this is up to you to go and explore as well, is that there's no supporting scripture that says that this is a prophetic picture for ages to come. Having said that, Michael Eaton says this. He says, Revelation never suggests that the seven churches give an outline of church history or foretelling. This is reading into text that isn't there. The seven churches have the equivalent among congregations of each age of the church, but all seven also have their equivalents today. And this is very important. Where it was written for the churches that existed in that time, we can take that and we can look at each age of the church and we can see that there are similar things that are addressed that have happened in the church, but then we also look at the churches today and we can see how each one of the seven churches have something relevant for each church today. And so it's something that was written for that time, but I believe that something is applicable for every age and every time, and especially today, every church, there's something that we can get out of this. And so ultimately, when we read and study this portion of scripture, I want to encourage you, and I'm speaking to myself as well, that we need to look at it and ask some of the following questions. The first one is, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying to me through the scripture? What is Jesus saying to us as a body through the scripture? What is true of my life? And when I read this, is there something that the Holy Spirit is convicting me of? And what is true? And what do I need to look at? And what do I need to address? That leads to the third question is, what do I need to change or do in my life differently? And then the last one is, what can I do to help and encourage those around me? It's important for us to remember that we are called to make disciples. We are called in to walk in accountability with each other. And so when we read the scriptures, not just for our own edification, it's not for our own revelation, but it's to help and encourage those around us. 
within the context of accountability as well. And so when we read these scriptures over the summer, as we look at them here, as you read them when you're traveling, is ask yourself these questions. What is it that Jesus is saying? What is true of my life? What do I need to change or do differently? And lastly, what can I do to help and encourage those around me? Whether it be my best friend, someone I don't know, a family member, someone that I saw across the aisle, how can I help them and encourage them in this as well? This is not to point out conviction. That is not your job. <laughs> in relationship, we talk with people and we help them, but it's not our job to go and say, well, you have forgotten your first love. That is not what we are called to do. We have to encourage and help others. All right. So I'm going to read it again, um, but give you a bit of context first. So Ephesus was a city in modern-day Turkey on the western coast, and you can still visit it today. Um, it, is, it was most famous for the temple of Di Diana or um, Artemis. Uh, you can see that in Acts 19.27. And pilgrims that believed and worshipped the goddess Diana would travel from all over the Mediterranean and the known world at that point to come and worship at this temple. It was massive, it was huge. It was a religion that was female-driven and led, um, and the only men that worked in the temple at that point were eunuchs. All right, so I think that's the right word I'm using. Um, Ephesus was the third largest population of Christians at that time. Jerusalem, Samaria, and then it was Ephesus. See, Paul spent about three years preaching and teaching and appointing leaders in Ephesus before he started moving on. And I loved what Dave told us last week is that when you look at the seven churches, that was actually the postal route that the messengers would take to deliver messages throughout the ancient world. <coughs> Um, the other thing Michael Eaton tells, uh, what in my research found, Michael Eaton says that in each letter of the seven churches of Revelation, there is a pattern of seven parts that we find. And so when we go through this, this is more of an exhibition, exhibition, wow, expository teaching. My brain is not working this morning. And I took my Ritalin, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> we're going to look at it through these seven lenses. This is more of an expos expository teaching. It's not so much preaching. Maybe that'll come through as we go through it. But the first part is that there is a command that this letter must be written. There's a description of Jesus that is taken from previous chapter in Revelation 1, verse 9 to 20. There's a word of commendation. There's a word of criticism. There's an exhortation to repentance. There's an appeal that this message should be heard. And lastly, it ends with a promise. And so there's this flow that goes through each one of the seven letters of moving from a command description to commendation to criticism to repentance to hearing and then there's a promise that Jesus gives and so as we go through Revelation 1 to 7 it says first the command it says to the angel of the church of Ephesus write so there's the command the second one is the description of Jesus taken in Revelation it says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands and so we see first that this message is from Jesus to the church. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. If you have one of those Bibles that puts the words of Jesus in red, you'll find that this whole two chapters is all in red. It's all the words of Jesus. This is a message to the churches. The description of Jesus that we see, it says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. We see this in Revelation 1 verse 16 and Revelation 1 verse 20. 
where it says, In his right hand he held the seven stars. And in verse 20 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. As Dave mentioned last week, each lampstand represents a church. These churches were set as light in dark places. And the stars are those who lead the churches. They are held in God's hands. The text says that to the angel, write this message. And in the Greek and the Hebrew word that's used is translated as angel, but both literally mean a messenger. Oh, thank you. Um, literally mean a messenger. Messenger. And when you look at the commentaries that are given, this is led to believe that these are the pastors of the churches of that time, or the messengers that were charged with communicating on behalf of the church. Ephesus at that time was under the leadership of Timothy. If you didn't know that, it's a good bit of information to know. And so when you read Timothy, you will know that Paul told him a whole bunch of stuff. Watch out for false uh, prophets. Stand firm. Stick to the purity of the scripture. And he gave him a lot of exhortations to the church and to him at the time in charges to stay as true to the word as possible. And so the Ephesian church was known as a strong church. They were known for keeping the truth. They were known for not compromising. They showed strength in Christ through hardship and persecution. And they were loyal to the word of God. And this is the third part where Jesus gives them the commendation. And he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And so Jesus comes in and affirms it. He says, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know that you've worked hard. I know your perseverance. I know that you have tested men and their word. And I know that you have endured persecution. And so Jesus comes in and says, I have seen you. I know you. And I want to say that this is for us today, that Jesus sees you and he knows you. He sees the things that you do. There are many people in this church that serve and feel like they're unseen because behind the scenes, no one really knows them. But I want to say, God sees you. When you're helping that car guide with a little bit of extra cash and some food that no one sees, God sees you. He commends you. When you're working hard and it feels like you're working for nothing, God sees you. When you're going through hardships and you're struggling and you're broken, but you persevere, God sees you. When you are facing persecution in the office or in the workplace and things are tough and you stand firm and you keep your eyes on him, he sees you. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning. Because this church was an energetic church. They were busy. They, if you read Ephesians and you read Timothy, you'll see they had a lot going on. They were busy with works. And God says, I know your works, your hard works. This was a joyful work. This wasn't a work of, of um, obligation. This wasn't a work because people felt they had to. But this was work that was satisfying, fulfilling because they were doing it for Jesus. They had healed their lives to the call of God. And sometimes we feel that we do these things in the unseen, but here we are reminded that these things are seen by the one who sees all things. We do these things for him, for his glory and his honor and for his recognition. 
This was also a church of great depth and of great integrity. Jesus says, your perseverance, you have endured hardships, you have not grown weary. This church was a mature church that could withstand trials and hardships and perse- with perseverance. And this, comes, this maturity comes from reading the word of God. It comes from being diligent in studying the word, in co- meeting together in community, in praying together, in worshiping the Father, walking in accountability and discipleship, and being led by the Holy Spirit. And if you read through Ephesians and Timothy, you'll see that this is what Paul had exhorted them to do when he was with them. This was a church that had maintained godliness. Jesus says, you cannot tolerate wicked men, and you cannot bear with, or other translations say, you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And this comes from 1 Timothy 1 verse 3 to 7. It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. This is Paul talking to Timothy nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things which make them confident, which they make confident assertions. And so yeah, Paul is warning Timothy and the Ephesian church about false teaching, about people, sheep, uh, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, are going to come in and try and sway the flock to move away. Um, some of the theologians say that the Nicol- Nicolaitans um, had a very similar faith to what looked and re- what Christianity represented. And so it was easy for people to follow down a watered-down version that kind of was sweet-talked and made them feel good about themselves wasn't challenging because everyone was happy and comfortable, but it po- pulled them away from Jesus. It pulled them away from the gospel. It's like, <laughs> for my terms, I used to do CrossFit, and then a thing called TFW came, Training for Warriors, which is basically CrossFit, but in a different branding. And so many people were like, oh, this is amazing. It looks so cool. And they went from CrossFit to TFW, and then they realized after a few months, but this is kind of what we used to, but very different at the same time. And so the model, the prescription, everything that was promised was slightly different. And so people pulled away from that. And I know this is an analogy that probably only three people understand, but it's, it's something like that. I think it's so important for us to remember that for everything that is in the kingdom, the enemy comes with a counterfeit. And so the Ephesian church was said, hey, this is, you know the truth, you know the scriptures, I've taught you, I've trained you. Paul is saying this to the church, but he's saying there's other people, there's a counterfeit that's trying to come in and pull, pull you apart, pull you away, point you away from Jesus that's going to cause endless discussions. I love this. It says you have wandered into vain discussions. Um, it says here that you devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. And I think it's so important as we go through this to be like, have I bought into anything that is not of the word of God? What is, am I listening? When I watch people talking on YouTube, am I measuring what they're saying by the word of God or am I just accepting it with blind faith? This is up to each one of us to test the words of others. And I say, do that for me, do that for younger, do it for Dan, do it for Nicole, anyone else that preaches here, 
test the words. And if you find anything that's not out of line, if you have questions, come talk to us. We are here to learn together. All right. <coughs> Revelation 2, I don't know if you know this, comes about 43 years after Paul had been in Ephesus. And so they had heeded to Paul's warning about staying true to the gospel, of maintaining a pure faith, of maintaining a faith that has an outworking of works from it. And they had done well, and Jesus commended them on this. And they had matured in Christ. But then Jesus comes in with a criticism, and I'm not going to spend too much time here because Dave did this last week, if you were here, but also because we spent a lot of time as a church looking at love and what that means. But in Revelation 2 verse 4, it says, Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And so the word of criticism or heartbreak from the way I read it is just that you have abandoned the love you had at first. We have spoken about this uh, quite a bit over the last few months. Three weeks ago, Lynette just spoke about how we are to abide in the vine. Dave drove in the question last week, says, how do we, how intimate are we with the Father? Devlin, just two weeks ago, urged us to respond to his invitation for a relationship. And so what is our response to a father that has opened up a relationship with him? Daniel, Yohandra, Nicole, and I, we've all encouraged every single one of us to constantly find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Yesterday we were in the prayer room and um, Nicole was like, what worship song can we listen to? And I was reminded of a song that I heard a few years ago, but it's, it's the whole message, just look to Jesus. It says, when you're down and broken, praying, look to Jesus. When you're on the mountaintop and rejoicing, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Just constant reminder, just look to Jesus. And that would be my encouragement for you this morning as well, is just look to Jesus. When things become too much in the workplace and you're overwhelmed, look to Jesus. When you're in difficult relationships and troubled times, look to Jesus. When the stress and everything of this world just seems insurmountable, just look to Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 3 says, In all things, as Nicole prayed earlier, in all things, make your requests and petitions before God. Ephesians 6 says, Above all else, pray constantly in the Spirit. There's this thing of coming to Jesus constantly and looking to him. But if we have lost our first love, we don't do that. We spend quite a bit of time in 1 Corinthians 13 looking at what love is. We looked at how if we do not have love and operate from love, and if we are not motivated by love, we are just a clanging symbol that what we're doing amounts to nothing. We might do great things, but if we don't have love, it's worthless. We cannot forget our first love. We cannot forget the wonder of the Father. We must be found in His love, pouring out our devotion to Him. This is, and I believe this comes a lot more naturally to women, to declare their love, to declare their devotion. As men, we tend to be a bit more like, no, that's for the ladies. No, 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 no. (laughs) This is for all of us to pour out our love. I don't know. For those of you that have been in a relationship or married now, there's that first love where it's all you can think about, it's all you speak about, you annoy everyone with it, 
just like, I'm so in love. You smile at your phone or stupidly you get like, and then you take, type the message. We watch the video. You type message like, I'm smiling at my phone. And the person's like, I know me too. And then it's like, no, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. No, <laughs> there's just this thing of this love that is unquenchable. And that's how it should be with our relationship with God. Like, no, God, you hang up. No, God, you hang up. This is, no, I don't want to leave. No, I don't want to leave. Don't be like my mother who would then hang up the phone for my brother when he's declaring his love for his girlfriend. <laughs> it's a long story. But we used to have one of those phones that were attached to the wall for all of those of you under 30. It was a thing. Um, and so we had a court that was about two and a half meters long, and my brother would stand around the corner in the kitchen declaring his love. And we'd be trying to watch TV, and all we hear is, no, I love you. No, I love you more. You're the best thing. And then eventually my mom would get so fed up that she'd just go and, press the button to hang up the phone. <laughs> and so when, when it talks about the first love, that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. You've forgotten your first love. You've abandoned this first love. For those of you who have been married and recently did the marriage course, it's easy to forget that first love. When the stresses of life come in, when work comes up, when kids come to play, Life happens and you forget that first love that's unquenchable. When you get comfortable and familiar, it's something that we have to keep working at. We have to keep working at that first love. It doesn't always like, look like, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. But it's something that changes and develops as we mature and grow in Christ. It's like, what is that first love? What does it look like? Am I coming back to him at all times? And that's what he's saying. Just come back to me. Come back to me. Seek me. Seek me first. <clears throat> and from this point, Jesus then brings an exhortation to repentance. And he says in Revelations 2, verse 5, in the first half, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This was not, uh, you've done wrong, turn or burn kind of repentance. This is a, hey, remember me. Remember where we were at first and come back to that. It's an encouragement for the church, for them to remember the heart of their former love. And if they had fallen away from that, to repent, to turn and to change their state of heart and to return to their first love. This is what true revival looks like in the church. The revival that happened in Ashbury just a few months ago started with repentance. The revival that started around about the same time in Nigeria started with repentance. The revivals all around the world, they were happening at the same time and there's a common thread of just repentance. And Father, I've turned away from you. I've turned away from my first love. I've allowed the world to come and taint this love that we have. I've come back. That's what revival looks like. It's a change in our hearts. It's a change in our states. It's a change in our posture. See, love doesn't happen by chance. It might start by chance, but it doesn't happen by chance. It is something that takes time and takes effort. Relationship, intimacy, talking, being together, this is all active things that we need to do to pursue our first love. I started with this quote, and I'll say it again. Graham Cook that said it. It's just like, when the Holy Spirit comes to convict something in our heart that is not to condemn us, it's not to show us where we're falling short, but it is to bring about a change in our hearts because there's a better standard of living. 
not in a way of always trying to achieve to be higher and better, but to come into an alignment with the Father. And it's not to cause condemnation. If you are convicted and you cause, feel condemned, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes in kindness. He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He says, hey, let's work on this. And that's why I say when you have coffee with someone else, you don't go to them like, oh, you do this. It's like, I've noticed this is happening. What's happening? How can we walk together to get to a place of restoration and to our first love with the Father? And the next part in Revelation 5, the second half to verse 7, is an appeal to be heard. It says, um, so he's just talking about repentance, and it says, if not, so he says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you have this, you hate the works of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said, says to the churches. And so the consequence for unrepentance in this would be a removal or the disbanding of the church, meaning that the light of this church would go out. And that sounds like quite a heavy consequence, but a church without love is just another country club. It's just another place for us to come together and have fun and then leave. You see, a country club does some good. They might raise some money. They might give to charity. They might have some fundraisers to help the community they might do some really good things they're a good place to come and hang out and be social have some food talk some nonsense and then leave they make for an enjoyable outing for everyone but they do not create a space for a life-changing encounter with God they do not show love that is from the father not just to those that come but to those around them as well and that's what we are called to do as a church we are called to come to our first love because when we've come from a place of being in that place with the Father, loving Him, allowing Him to love us, that will then outflow into the things that we do and the things that we do then make a difference. The world will see Him through our love for one another. That's what, he's, that's what, that's what the Word says. And so it's about making an impact around us. When we come to the Father, when we repent, say, Lord, Lord I've actually forgotten my first love. I haven't taken the time and the energy and the effort to pursue you above all things. When we repent and we do that, we change our ways. We say, you know, I'm going to dedicate, I can do 10 minutes in the morning where I can just worship you, or five minutes of reading the word, or just praying through the day, or making that effort to come to him and sitting at his feet. In all things, remembering him. I mean, silly example is, um, one of the things that we've done in our marriage is to try to always be the first, our spouse being the first person we tell anything to. So if something happens at work and I need to vent or something exciting happens, Lynette will be the first person I tell. And same for Lynette. And, and that's what it's like. It's like, you know, God, today this happened at work. I, want to, I can't wait to tell you. It's this excitement to say, I remember you first. So often we go and we complain to everyone around us first. We say, please pray for us, but then we don't actually go and pray ourselves. When things exciting happens, we tell everyone, but we don't go and pray and thank God for what's happening. So it's remembering Him first. When that happens, the love of God is seen around. And this leads to the promise that Jesus gives. It says in verse 7, the second part, it says, To the one who conquers, 
I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. See, this promise is for every believer who heeds to both the encouragement and the criticism and overcomes through repentance and comes back to their first love. Operating and being motivated by their love for God and others. This promise is of a future glory of eternity with God. And so we might not see the immediate thing of saying, God, I love you. I spent you my first love coming back to him. We might not see that now, but this is a promise for eternity. And this is why it's so important for us as Christians to live with an eternity mindset. We've got to look to what God is doing. Not just for myself, but for our children, for our children's children, for the generations to come, that we leave a legacy of pursuing God above all things. Because that is going to change lives. That is going to change this country and we've seen it, just this, the after effects of someone like Swimmer that started AMH coming in and planting something. And generations later, we've seen the effects of that. And we trust and we stand for more. If you've done any research into, into the history of Bahrain, at some point, Bahrain was a Christian country. At some point. And there's been a prophetic word that came through, I think, two or three times of just this treasure chest of jewels that is waiting to be opened. And so there's a legacy that's left in this country because of people that were faithful hundreds of years ago, a hundred and something years ago, today. And so we, we pray and we say, God, would you open that up? There's a legacy, there's inheritance that we might not see, but our children might see or our children's children will see. And that's why we do this, for eternity, for the future glory of God with him. But having said that, in today's world, how is this letter relevant for us today? Well, some of us are going on summer holiday for nine weeks. Do we remember our first love? I know I've been guilty of going on holiday and probably not opening my Bible once. I mean, I'd never do that. But my encouragement to you, for those that are traveling, is don't forget your first love. It's so easy to be caught up in sleeping late and relaxing, doing nothing, going out, hanging out, but we forget to come to the Father. And so it's, how do we do that? We come to Him, we read, we worship, we pray. Make that a daily discipline in your lives throughout your holidays. Don't forget to go to church. You might not be able to come to Rivers, but there's other churches around. Go and get fed. Get into community of believers. Make sure that you are getting fed and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Don't allow those nine weeks to pass and you look back like, what happened? But rather, you can make such an impact in those nine weeks, not just in your life or the life of your family, but those around you as well. well I said this to Deandra, I think, the other day. It's like, I've always been jealous of teachers on their holidays. You get paid for nine weeks to go somewhere. Okay, your, ticket gets, your ticket gets paid for you to go somewhere. And I'm jealous, not because you get to have nine weeks of holiday, but because, and I'll be, I'm going to be quite honest, this is not you teachers, this is people that have left, obviously, <laughs> is that after nine weeks, what impact have you made? People have spent money, they've gone out, they've lay on the beach, they've stepped late, but you've got an opportunity to go to the orphanages, you've got the opportunity to go help the widows and people in churches in crisis, you've got opportunity to serve, opportunity to go on trips to people and love on them. Don't allow this to go to waste. This is my dad heart speaking. This is what I'd say to my children one day when they're old enough to do this as well, is don't allow that to go to waste. 
please, I implore you, find a way to love and to serve what you have learned here. Let that become a practical outworking of what God is doing in your life. But also rest. <laughs> Sorry. All right. And so it's so easy for us to fall prey to this cold, mechanical observance of religion today. The world does not encourage us to pursue a relationship with God in any way, stretch, or form of, the, of our imagination at all. If anything, the world wants us to conform to the religion that they want us to be part of. It's easy for us to be found in a place devoid of love and relationship with God. It's easy for us to focus on doctrinal purity and our works, but devoid of love and relationship with the Father. If anything, what we can learn from the Ephesian church is to keep our eyes on Jesus, to walk in relationship with him, and to allow everything else we do to flow from our love for him. And so that's my encouragement for you this morning. Find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. So let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you that we get to look at this chapter and just see what you are saying, Father. So Father, I pray, Lord, would our eyes be open to see these words? Would our hearts be open to take them in and to meditate on them? Would our ears be open to hear you, Holy Spirit, and what you are saying? that in everything we do, it would come from a place of a relationship and love for you. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would not allow our lives to get cold and hard, but our lives would be soft and pliable and open to you. And as we heard last week, that we would not be lukewarm trying to make decisions, but we would stand and be firm in our decision of loving you first. So I pray for each person that's here. I pray would you bless them. Would you have your hand upon them? I pray, Holy Spirit, through this week, would you show us how we can be in constant first love with you? Would you identify areas in our hearts and nudge us to change or to grow or mature or talk to someone in a way that we can grow in our love for you? I pray for those that are traveling that you would bless them, that you would have your hand upon them. Would they find complete rest in this period and come back recharged and ready for the new year? We bless you and give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.